we present the news quiz with your host, Sandy Toxvig. Hello. Welcome to the news quiz. We start with a cutting from the Radio Times, read by Harriet Cass. BBC Two, Wednesday, 2pm. Animal Park. Ben Fogel gets close to the most dangerous animals in the park. Last in the series. <laughs> and our thanks to John Tardiff for sending that in. Now let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first on my right, Andy Hamilton and Fred McCauley. And opposite them on my left, Hugo Rifkin and Phil Jupitus. Andy, have a listen to this. Who knew you could get a laugh out of it? Um, <laughs> what's got the world pig sick? Uh, well, I've got to be careful with this, because in, in this climate, it would be very easy to start a panic. <laughs> One way you can do it is you can sneeze violently on the tube into your sombrero. <laughs> Another way you can do it is you can entrust this story to our panic-addicted... 24-hour news media who've got completely ridiculous. I was watching Sky News, and their approach is quite simple. They started reporting on any case of flu anywhere <laughs> in the world, you know. <laughs> I was waiting for that little ticker tape to say, breaking news, man complains of sniffle in Aberdeen. <laughs> Gordon Brown to make statement. <laughs> Finally, on the way here, I see in Metro newspaper, they were predicting today that more people will die in Ealing than any other London borough. <laughs> which, which is bad news for Harriet. She lives in Ealing. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be an estate agent in Ealing this why, morning. Why Ealing? What's well, I don't know. They've obviously got hold of some computer model from somewhere that predicts that I think it's 9,000 people will die in Ealing, apparently. <laughs> that's not official. If you're listening in Ealing, that's not... <laughs> It's not a government commitment, it's just... <laughs> if you're listening and kneeling, well done. <laughs> but I think it's the, first, the first couple that got it have signed up Max Clifford yeah. to handle their story. Yeah. <laughs> That's you you got flu! <laughs> no, the, the story is that there are a couple from North Lanarkshire that got married. <laughs> Conspiracy by the face mask industry, by any chance, do you? <laughs> and they can't rely on Michael Jackson for the rest of the, you know. <laughs> well, it's this thing, it's obsession with the word pandemic now, isn't it? Because all pandemic means, it's not a measure of lethality, it's just a measure of global geographical reach. So that just means if it reaches level five, then this virus is all over the world. The honest truth is, I'm going to scare everybody shitless now. The honest truth is, probably, I'd say, what, with 400 people in this auditorium tonight. Statistically, the likelihood is that there is someone in this room who's come into contact with this flu, isn't it? Yeah. Andy Hamilton is not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but 
do you want Mr. Doom and Glooms? How's it? Well, I'd love you to be the Robert Peston of the pandemic, really, aren't you? No, I'm, I'm saying it'll be fine. Everybody should calm down. I mean, this story, I think, has turned out to be the strongest argument for press censorship I've ever seen. <laughs> What's the highest level? Six, isn't it? Five, isn't it? No, five is pandemic. Six, the pigs take over. And, uh, <laughs> form a global government. The, the, I don't good, know. the good thing is that all the pigs are being killed, because pigs are terrible creatures, I think. I once worked on a pig farm. And it was the worst two weeks of my life. Like a good Jewish boy on a pig farm. Um, and, I mean, they're really, really awful creatures. They... How mean was your dad in work experience? <laughs> <laughs> they fight you for their poo. They really do. What? Should... What, do they, what do they want to do with it? I think they're more worried about what you want to do with it. <laughs> they, they, what they... did you want to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, it's, it's... But aren't pigs meant to be very intelligent? I mean, shouldn't it's... we all hope they're working on a vaccine? It's a... It's... <laughs> What were you doing working on a pig farm? It's a long and tedious story, but um, I was in Cornwall living in a shed working on a pig farm. Is this an answer to a question or a blues song? (laughs) (laughs) Working on a pig farm, down near Bude. Well, it's the story of the growing threat of the swine flu pandemic. The Department of Health is to send reassuring leaflets to every household in the country. Now, I was thinking about this. Do you think that they're going to test the people who are delivering them? It's just... It'd be a really quick way to spread it, wouldn't it? (laughs) The one guy who's got it is the man charged with sending out the leaflets. Given this government's track record on reassurance, it'll probably say, don't worry, we've rounded up all the viruses and put them in Belmarsh. (laughs) Well, two points there to Andy. Hugo, we all know women are always right, but why are the right so rarely women? This would be David Cameron's shadow cabinet allegedly has very few women in it. I say allegedly because they claim there are quite a lot of women, but they've all just got these strange made-up job titles like Minister for Chocolate and things like that. (laughs) Minister for Ducks and stuff like that. Um, I want to be that. (laughs) (laughs) Kids keep walking into the ministry going, what news, my lord? (laughs) (laughs) I'm They do say that the situation is improving, and this is true, because I think about a year ago there were actually fewer women in the Cabinet than there were men called David in the Shadow Cabinet. Uh, That's not true anymore, because David Davis resigned, um, which is great progress. Um, But, I mean, there aren't that many women in the real Cabinet either. I mean, there's four or five. There's Harriet Harman and Jackie Smith and not Hilary Benn. One should always remember. Um, so it's, it's a problem that affects all parties, I believe. Also, uh, Iceland, haven't Iceland got a nearly all-woman government now, haven't they? I love this. The left-wing caretaker government won. I think that is the most brilliant thing in Iceland. I love the idea of a left-wing caretaker. Ours at school was such a bigot. I think it's a... <laughs> but Iceland is... Um, I mean, to win, it can't be that difficult. There's only 63 seats in the entire... Parliament. I would have thought Jackie Smith's got more seats in a gazebo. I would have thought that's... Uh... <laughs> What's her name? She's called Johanna Sikta-Dotter, the world's first openly gay prime minister. Or I have to say, I have my suspicions about Putin, but... Um... <laughs> oh, mince or what? Um... Yeah. yeah, be fair. What do you want for your birthday? Tigers! <laughs> <laughs> tribute band playing. It's going to be brilliant. And you're not really the Prime Minister, it's me, but we're not telling anybody. Well, I think it's very exciting. Iceland has not had a left-leaning government for 18 years. It's about the same as the UK. Um, (laughs) Two points to Hugo. Phil, a hundred days. Why are we hoping it's not just puppy love? Yes, uh, Barack Obama, son of simple Irish immigrants to America. Um... (laughs) 
Yes, yeah, 100 days. He's generally agreed to have done quite well. The press sometimes get on his back over things, but that's because they can understand what he's saying at press conferences and can ask questions about that. <laughs> Whereas the last one was just, oh, nuclear, hey there, sonny boy. <laughs> it was a bit like trying to interview Clunk from Wacky Races. <laughs> Yeah, everyone goes on about how brilliant he is, but let's not forget he took 82 days to choose a dog. That, to me, <laughs> smacks of wishy-washiness. He has done a lot, though. He's launched no. ten new bills so far. He's spent three yep. trillion dollars or something. But 82 days for a dog. No, but what, did, what did Gordon do the first 82 days? I think he spent his entire time sewing name tags into his socks. I don't think there's... <laughs> Writing his name on everything in the office, this is mine as well. <laughs> the other good news about Barack Obama is he's obviously got a bit of a sense of humour, because this week he thought he'd send Air Force One to restage 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a bit of a laugh, I think. I think, obviously, they got to the end of a meeting and he took... Do you know what would be funny? Send Air Force One flying around a few skyscrapers. I'll apologise afterwards, it'll be fine. <laughs> There was a lovely moment in the press conference to mark the 100 days where, you know, someone asked him a question and he briefly sounded like a kind of Dagenham plumber. He went, I've got wars to do, sweetheart. I can't be rescuing the economy as well. <laughs> I'd love to have a look at it for you, babe. Honestly, car industry sounds lovely, but I've got a couple of wars on the go next door. <laughs> Did you see with all the fuss about Air Force One flying over New York? Apparently there are two Air Force Ones which seems sort of limited arithmetic mm. ability really? there. You'd have thought, yeah, there's Air Force One, yeah. and parked next to it often, there's Air yeah. Force One. Oh, but that's because they often send them both. The one's a dummy, isn't it? One's a decoy. Yep. Obviously, you would be a bit of a giveaway if they had different numbers, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> of course, not one. I mean, one. not even the CIA are that dim, are they? <laughs> Did you know that there are two front doors for number 10? Did you know that? Have you ever noticed that nobody's ever painting number 10's front door? It's never going, ooh, that wants a lick of paint. Mm. And that's because they have two, and they've got one that's permanently nicely painted, and if the other one needs painting, they take the first one off and they put the second one on. I mean, that's mad, isn't it? That's I the th government lying to us yet again. <laughs> yet again. <laughs> I thought you meant there was a magical ten and a half Downing Street like in Harry Potter. <laughs> Two points to fill this week. Barack Obama celebrated his first 100 days as president. Well, I say celebrated. He invited George Bush round for lunch, uh, showed him his approval ratings and offered him a pretzel. Um, <laughs> at the end of round one, the scores are Andy and Fred have got four points, but so too have Hugo and Phil. <laughs> we start round two with a cutting from the Billericay Echo. Early teens, life skills, summer school. Pupils will acquire skills to help resolve peer conflict through non-violent means. Participating pupils will receive a mid-morning drink and a healthy smack. <laughs> and our thanks to Mel Connington. I Ricky, that's not a misprint. Thanks to Mel Connington for sending us that. Andy, why is Spam now a dish fit for a queen? This is the queen, our queen. Yes who sent out uh, her first email. And there was a lot of stuff in the papers how she's a real technophile. But, of course, she's been talking in tech-speak for years. She turned, you know, the personal pronoun into a number. Um, <laughs> so she's actually <laughs> well ahead of the game. So um, it's shameful, really, that the Queen is more knowledgeable about this technology than, than I am. Uh, if, if you got an email from the Queen, wouldn't you immediately suspect that she was actually a young man in Nigeria? 
mean, you'd be like, nah, you're not the queen. She you could know. actually write one saying, as a former sovereign of Nigeria, she <laughs> would be rather good. Their email would be a giveaway, wouldn't it? One at one.co.uk. Yeah. <laughs> and she signs with a smiley face with a crown on it. <laughs> There's a, there's Philip a... just fell over. PMSL. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a wonderful story about the uh, Queen Mother. That apparently, when the first remote controls for televisions came out, one was brought to her at Clarence House. Remember the first remote controls were the size of a house brick, weren't they? And it, it was your dad had it on the arm of the chair. It wasn't nobody else was trusted with such a technical thing. And uh, they brought it to the Queen Mother and they showed it to her and they said, uh, "This is very clever, Mum. This press this button here and you can change channels." And she said, "Isn't that interesting? I still think I'll find it easier to ring." <laughs> the Queen sent her first official email on Tuesday to thank young people who wrote a blog about their typical day in the Commonwealth. At first, Her Majesty wasn't sure how to compose the message until a paperclip said, it looks like you're writing a proclamation to royal subjects. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like some help with that? Um, within 30 seconds, the Queen was delighted to receive her first message and offer to make her scepter longer. <laughs> Hugo, which shortlist is long on paint? This would be the outrageous news that yes. the Turner Prize this year rather than mainly being made up of people who've balanced a little bit of snot on fairy liquid bubbles and, you know, sort of video their dog looking at a lizard and stuff, um, <laughs> is largely made up of actual painters, people who've actually painted things or drawn things on bits of paper. Um, I think four out of the five on the shortlist are this. The other one has turned his flat in Hackney into a cave. He covered the whole... Did you see this thing? He took a flat in the, in the East End of London and he covered the whole of the inside of it in some kind of crystals that it all... I don't know what it was. Copper, it, copper sulphate. Copper sulphate. I mean, he lost his deposit, but he did get... He did, <laughs> I don't know. Is anybody going to go and look at all this? I mean, does anybody... Andy, are you in arts? Not really. I, I, I remember um, standing in a museum. What's that famous... Rothko, is it? The Black Square. It's just, yeah, it's just a bit Rothko, of pain. Isn't it? I remember standing in a museum and, and hearing this voice behind me say, I love this. It just gives me such a feeling of blackness. <laughs> well, I don't know much about art. I know what I like. Books. Um, <laughs> the shortlist for this year's Turner Prize sees a return to basics. It's all about painting. Sadly, once again, Rolf Harris has been overlooked. But last year's shortlist was dismissed as ghastly and boring, although that turned out, in fact, to be the title of the winning installation. <laughs> No, this, I didn't just discover this. is absolutely true. I, on Sunday, I should be 51 years old. And, uh, Never. Yes. <laughs> I've not only just discovered that. I knew that was coming along. But, um, yes, but that's in lesbian news. <laughs> <laughs> they have a whole different system. <laughs> we live forever. Um, you have to be under 50 to enter the Turner Prize. I yes, know. That's you, outrageous. That? It's shocking, isn't it? Oh, who, who here, Hugo? You must be able to steal. Anybody else? You I'm, still... No, I'm. That means that. Well, I'll, that, all the time I've wasted stuffing that shark into that tank. <laughs> <laughs> Two points to Hugo. Phil, have a listen to this. Which branch of the armed forces is taking a leap into the unknown? Toxic, we live in a crazy world. <laughs> Iggy Pop advertises car insurance. John Lydon advertises butter. And we've just heard the Halen on Radio 4. <laughs> the parachute regiment, a third of them haven't had a jump in two years. Now, I know that sounds wrong. 
course, you might wonder why the parachute regiment haven't jumped. And there's not enough planes, apparently, which is a key element of parachute jumping, <laughs> is planes. And experience matters. So, if you've got an auntie or a friend who's maybe done a charity jump for children in need or spina bifida, they are now qualified to be in the parachute regiment. <laughs> Presumably, the tank regiment has now just got a Vauxhall Vectra with quite a lot of Artex on it. <laughs> Do you not think maybe they could do something else? Because this would really surprise the enemy. Uh, bungee jumping. So... <laughs> right? It looks like all these troops are coming at you and just about five foot off the top of your head, they go, hey, just straight. Or very, very long rope ladders. Um, and the planes. That, I mean, Why are they a bit wussy, isn't it, needing planes? Why, they've got loads of skyscrapers, they could jump off those. They're not always in the right place, the skyscrapers, I think, is the problem. <laughs> the planes to stop falling out the sky they have to be going forward at about 200 miles an hour so the rope ladder at the bottom would also be going at about 200 miles an hour okay wait. sorry to be pedantic wait, wait. hang, wait, hang wait. on i can solve this okay um andy hamilton is not a physicist <laughs> seat belts restrainers some yeah. kind of restraint system they're on a rope ladder traveling at 200 miles an hour but there's some kind of airbags you want to tie men to a rope ladder that's tied to a plane and give them airbags. No, he may be on something here. How about the guys who can jump, jump first and hold a net? Yeah. <laughs> or, or... Yes? They can jump out of scheduled flights. <laughs> so... You're there, and if the bloke next to you is wearing a rucksack and has got a helmet on and looks worried, you're on an army flight. I think what we've proved is they're just looking for excuses not to jump. I think we've proved that. Ah, uh, yes. Ironically, the number of trained parachutists is falling rapidly. <laughs> Nearly a third... <laughs> is that one of Roy Hudson ones? <laughs> Do you know what? I always am interested in the sort of timing of when jokes appear, and I heard my first joke today about the swine fever thing. Mm. He, said, uh, he said, oh, very well about that. I didn't even spot it coming, because he's not actually a funny bloke. And, um, <laughs> and he said, oh, very well about this flu thing. I, uh, I tried to phone uh, NHS Direct, but I couldn't get through. All I got was crackling. And I just thought... <laughs> Well, it was on These the... terrible jokes will spread across the country. Yeah. Well, it was on today, this morning. Oh, was it? It was emailed in. I, I yeah. emailed the gag into today as well, but um, I didn't really know how to spell. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, weren't, they weren't able to deliver it properly. I'll tell you something. I know that Evan can make that noise. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, you're scarily good at that, Fred. That's, uh, that suggests mild infection, anyway. <laughs> Nearly In Scotland, we were so poor, Daddy would make farmyard noises <laughs> to amuse the weans. What would you like for tea tonight, kids? <laughs> Can we have lamb? No. Fred, Fred can't do a lamb noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pork again, Dad. <laughs> So two points there to Phil, and I can tell you at the end of round two, the scores are Andy and Fred have got eight points, but so too have Hugo and Phil. Before we start round three, here is a cutting from the parish magazine of St Mary's Church, Sanderson. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to see the organist after the service. <laughs> 
thanks to Pauline Vernon of Sunset for sending us that. Fred, whose tall tales at the short stay has proved to be not the ticket? It's parking. It's, yes. Um, more parking tickets have been issued in the last 12 months than ever before, and consequently more lame excuses uh, for people who have had compelling reasons why they shouldn't get a parking ticket, uh, which included... I was dropping the python off at the vet, yes. which I, I believe to be a euphemism. <laughs> How do you tell if a python is sick? Eh? But no, I mean, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a joke, right? <laughs> it goes. How could you tell if the python the, was... The spring goes out of its step. I just was curious. I don't know. It's a, it goes stiff or something. I don't know. <laughs> Look like a sort of draft excluder. <laughs> um, Listless. Listless. Yeah. Have <laughs> 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 stopped doing pig impersonations? Yeah. Sort of thing. Python with swine. Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. <laughs> do your listless python again, please. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you, in your role as Variety King, Mr Abattoir, I bet you could do the sound of a python eating a pig. <laughs> now, what I want to ask uh, the audience yeah. here, and if you're listening at home as well, how many of us have ever had a parking ticket and thought, yeah, well, fair cop? Any time I've had a parking ticket, I've always thought... You know, I had a reasonable excuse that I didn't see the sign or the sign was obscured. In George Street in Edinburgh, they used to have railings in the middle for solo motorcycles. They took them away, so it was like a full space. You can't see the writing on the cobbles because you're sitting on top of it with your car. So I complained. <laughs> and do you know what, I, what really annoyed me was I came back and I found the parking warden guy taking a photo of my car. And they do this to prove that there was a ticket on your car. And I, I was really struggling. I said that he was abusing my car's rights. <laughs> well, he was. <laughs> and how is your car's case getting on at the Hague Court of International? <laughs> 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 these excuses, what struck me was that, you know, some people went to a lot of effort with the excuses and some people didn't really bother. Like, there was one bloke who I think got his ticket, you know, expunged, which was that he said his parrot had removed his residence permit. Now, you think, fair dues, that's quite good. You'd probably give him that one. But about nine people just said they were going to a pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that explains... Oh, fine, have a little flashing light on the top if you go to, you know, we'll, we'll wave you through, you know. I suppose if you appeal, you get a letter back saying, oh, no, you won't. <laughs> Nation's worst excuses for challenging parking fines have been revealed, including the man who claimed his parrot knocked his permit off the windscreen. One illegally parked car had left a note saying, gone to speak to Gordon Brown to find out everything he knows about economics back in five minutes. <laughs> Phil, have a listen to this. Animals going two by two, or rather uh, two for the price of one. Phil Jubitus's Radio 4 rock anthems is not available in the shops. <laughs> um, 
the, the Bronx Zoo. Uh, they've got financial trouble and they are having to let some of their animals go. There's, there have been animal redundancies at the Bronx Zoo. So the people are up in arms that the Bronx Zoo is, is letting some of its most exotic animals go. But, you know, I put it to you this way. Would you rather see the words animals sold to other zoos or would you rather see the words endangered buffet? <laughs> During the and I'm trying to think during the siege of Paris, the Parisians ate the zoo. They did, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah. did. They, there's a wonderful book called They Dined on Eland, and it was a wonderful recipe in it for elephant's trunk, which apparently needs a tremendous amount of cooking. Um, but they did. They ate the whole zoo. And yeah. a hell of a saucepan. Yeah. 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 What do you even boil elephant? The worst tasting. Worst yeah. tasting. I had fruit bat not long ago. They didn't taste the fruit at all. <laughs> In the Seychelles. I watched these lovely... How about a hotel were you staying in? <clears throat> well... <laughs> yeah, it was... No... <laughs> I have... The locals eat fruit back. I was... didn't go in as a rich Westerner and say, I'll have that one, shoot it. Skunk nuggets. That can't be good. Yeah, skunk mm, nuggets. Nice. Where's its nugget? <laughs> I once went ptarmigan hunting in, uh, in the Arctic... And they're quite a big bird, ptarmigan, and they don't fly, so I think it's really not that big a sport. But uh, <laughs> I was with this very butch Norwegian fellow, and he shot this ptarmigan, he split it open, he took out the warm heart, and he said, it's a great honour, what we do is we put it in some vodka, and then you will eat it now, it'll be a great honour. So I thought, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. So I put this thing in my mouth, and he went, ho, 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 Arctic joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were... You went hunting in the Arctic. I know. I can see you coming over the horizon. People going, I thought the penguins are all at the South Pole. <laughs> New York's recession hit Bronx Zoo has been forced to offload animals to plug a $15 million shortfall. Most of the animals are now expected to transfer to other zoos or find work in call centres. <laughs> Before we reveal the final scores, let's hear the cuttings the teams have brought along, Mr Hamilton. This has been sent via Ian Gray from Doncaster, and it's information about if you want to go to Peru, and it is the proper approach to public health. And the official advice is, it is suggested for the people who are travelling to the jungle in Peru have a vaccine against yellow fever. In case you arrive to our country without having taken this vaccine, you may be shot at the Jorge Chavez International. <laughs> Mr Jupiter's... Uh, it's from Subscriptions Department of a Magazine. Dear Mr James, it is with regret that I have to inform you that 4x4 and MPV Driver magazine will no longer be published. We have arranged to transfer the remainder of your subscription of 4x4 and MPV Driver onto its sister publication, Grow Your Own magazine. <laughs> Grow Your Own is essential reading for anyone who loves growing fruit and vegetables. Let's take a look at the final score. Andy and Fred have got 10 points, but this week's runaway winners are Hugo and Phil with 13. Before we leave you, here is a story from the BBC Sport website sent to us by Philip Swift. FIFA has launched an investigation after an assistant referee was struck on the head by a coin during a match on Saturday. FIFA will take a very dim view of this, said Irish Football Association President Raymond Kennedy. We will incur a heavy penalty, and we can't afford to be throwing a lot of money away. <laughs> and with that, goodbye. 
Taking part in the news quiz were Andy Hamilton, Fred McCauley, Hugo Rifkind and Phil Jupiter. In the chair was Sandy Toxvig and the news was read by me, Harriet Cass. The chair's script was written by Simon Littlefield, Roderick Crooks, Stephen Carlin, John Luke Roberts and Gareth Gwynn. The producer was Victoria Lloyd.